So our second Bible reading for tonight comes from Hosea, chapters one to, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, which is the whole chapter. You can find it on page 942 on your pew Bibles or thereabouts. Hosea's reconciliation with his wife. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without effort or idol. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Here ends the reading. We will be looking at Hosea 3, so let's turn to God and ask for his, for his help. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we are amazed by your love as you reveal yourself in the way you've dealt with Hosea and Gomer. And so we pray, Lord, that you might help us, give us a deep sense of how wonderful it is to know you and to know what you've done for us in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like to begin this evening to get all of you to imagine this. Imagine all the blokes here, all the guys here, all of you, you are Prince Charming. Just imagine, it's not true. Okay, just imagine. You're Prince Charming. The ladies, you'll probably find that hard to imagine, but just imagine with me. And so you guys are wealthy. You've got means. You're of royal blood. You've got long, flowing, blonde hair. You're charming. You're handsome. But we're still imagining, okay? Now, you guys are out to find love. The love of your life. The one who will fulfill you. The one who will complete you. And now, ladies, time for you to imagine. Didn't leave you out of this. Ladies, imagine now you're a young, beautiful lady in distress. You're gorgeous. You're the prettiest in the land. You're like in a Cinderella or Snow White or Princess Fiona. But there's a problem. There's a problem. You're trapped. You're chained up in some tower in some faraway land. You're helpless. And outside this tower, there's a dragon stopping anyone from coming close. And so you cry out with that pretty princess voice at the top of your lungs, help, but there is no help. <laughs> and now the kids here, well, you're the dwarfs, we'll, we'll include you somehow. And so guys here, blokes, what do you do as guys? You are the hero, you're Prince Charming. Well, you go out, you risk it all to save that pretty girl. Whatever the danger, the dragon, you will, you will not be scared. You will not be afraid. So you go out, donning your armour, wielding your sword, riding your stallion, all to find true love, all to save that young beauty trapped in that tower, some faraway land, China or somewhere. <laughs> and then, how does the story end? It will be happily ever after. You live happily ever after. I mean, they're, they're the stuff of what fairy tales are made of, right? But now let me change this story a little bit. Guys, 
you're still Prince Charming. You've got this chiselled face that is to die for. We're imagining still. Ladies, ladies, just imagine this now. You're not the innocent, beautiful, pretty, helpless princess in waiting, locked up in some tower in some faraway land. You're not innocent anymore. You're not beautiful. You're not pretty or gorgeous. But what you're like, you're a bit like this. You're cross between an ogre and the ugly stepsisters of Cinderella and a donkey. <laughs> you're a hideous creature in some tower somewhere. We're imagining this is not true. You are not that bad. <laughs> but now let me ask you blokes here, you Prince Charming here, a question. Would you now still go out, risk your life, fight this dragon to save and love this creature? Would you? No. <laughs> Thank you, that's the answer I wanted. I mean, will you find true love, even if you do meet this beast of a creature, a cross between all those? I would not know what that would look like, but not nice. Now, of course, that was just a bit of fun, right? Guys, you are not that charming. Yes, some of you are. Ladies, you're not that beast. But I do want us to, to get a sense of how shocking this story is in Hosea chapter 3. Because what, in fact, did happen with Hosea was not fairy tale, was far more outrageous than the fairy tale, but was true. The fairy tale was just a fairy tale, but Hosea and what is recorded here is true. In fact, did happen. You see, Hosea's love for his wayward life was far more outrageous than any love of Prince Charming. And God's love for his wayward Israel was far more and is far more outrageous than any Prince Charming you find. Because let's try to recall what Hosea has showed us of what Gomer did and what Israel did. What were they like? What was Goma like? Well, who was this young helpless lady up in this tower somewhere? Well, certainly wasn't anyone innocent. You see, Goma was an adulteress. Even though she was damaged goods from the beginning, Hosea married her. But yes, she did not learn. She continued pursuing her other lovers, continued in her betrayal, her unfaithfulness, her disloyalty, her adultery. And so it was the same with Israel. Though they knew that God is God, it is God who delivered them and saved them and provided for them and protects them and makes promises to them, this nation turned their backs on God and pursued other lovers, the gods of the land, trusting in gods and idols that can't deliver because they're fake, you see. And what did God do? What did Hosea do? Well, God now in this passage calls Hosea to go out and to love again. I mean, isn't it time to give up on this lady? Is it time to forget this relationship and just pursue another one? But yet God says, no, go and love her again. Look at verse 1 with me. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, just think about that. This is outrageous stuff that is happening here. You know, don't just give her a second chance. Don't just wait for her to realise that she's wrong. 
Don't just wait around at home for her to return, but go out in search for her. Go out and love her again, just as God's love for Israel is unfailing. But you see, to make it more outrageous here, it's for raisin cakes. Now, I don't really mind sultanas that much, not my favourite, but this is just absurd. Just consider this, what is happening here. On this side you have God, the God of the universe, the God who made all things, the God who provides all things, the God who loves sacrificially. On this side there are raisin cakes. Raisin cakes may be like donuts or muffins. And what does Israel choose? Hard to choose. What does Gomer choose? Chooses raisin cakes. That's absurd. That's outrageous. You see, this is meant to help us see how unworthy Gomer was. It's meant to help us see how unworthy Israel was. Their adultery, their idolatry was blinding them from seeing how foolish they were. They could not see. They were choosing this above that. And it was blinding them in their stupidity. But you see, what makes this story even more outrageous is that this love that God called Hosea to have for Gomer, that God has himself for Israel, was a costly love. Now you can just imagine Hosea going out in the streets, searching in the streets, anxiously looking for her, looking her in every nook and cranny through the dark places where she might have ended up. And where did he find her? Well, she was with her lover. And what did this Hosea do? He paid a ransom price to buy her freedom, to redeem her for himself. He paid a price for his wife. This was already his wife, but he paid a price to her lover to set her free. Her lovers bought her to use her. Hosea here bought her to heal her to free her and to love her. You see, in the ancient world, this idea of ransom and redemption, it comes from the ancient uh, slave market. You see, in the ancient world, what happened was if you have a close relative, say a brother or a sister, and they had some bad business dealings and lost all their money and they, they owe a huge debt, Back then there weren't any of the bankruptcy laws we have today and so what they were required to do to pay off that debt was to sell themselves off as a slave and if that was enough they would have to sell their family as slaves as well. And so you, as the next of kin for your brother or sister, that punk brother or sister who did that silly business deal, what can you do? Well, what you can do as the next of kin is to redeem your brother or sister. That's where the idea of redemption came from. You would pay a ransom price to set your brother or sister free, free from slavery. But you see here, Hosea seemed to have haggled a price with Gomer's lover to redeem her, to bring her back for himself. And we see this in verse 2. Have a look. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. So that was the price paid to bring his wife home. That was the price paid. That was the ransom price. She was not just his his by right of marriage. Now she was his by right of purchase as well. And so it's a bit like what we saw in that video. When that man, 
that hu- that husband went to the bail office to to pay the bail. That was the price to set his wife free. And you can see the illusions when they were together in the last scene that the raisin had the muffin really they used. He placed the wedding ring in that, uh, the engagement ring in fact, to show his love for his wife, to try to win her back. You see, love is costly. Genuine love is costly. Real love is costly. You see, this is something we learn about the genuine, sacrificial love of God. The God kind of love. It is costly. You see, for Prince Charming, true love for him meant that he had to risk his life to battle the dragons for his lover. And for us, we know in our own life experiences that love is costly. To love someone deeply and genuinely, it is costly. You see, for me to love Yvonne and my kids, it will be costly. It has been costly. Costly not only in the attention I need to give them, Costly not only in the way I must work hard to provide for the family. Costly not only in the sense that I must forsake all my own personal desires for them, but costly in that I make myself vulnerable to them. You see, when you love someone deeply, you make yourself vulnerable to them. I open myself to my family, to Yvonne and the kids. I open my heart to them. And so what that means is that that it exposes me to hurt, deep hurt. Love is costly. Genuine love is costly. And that's why it is those you love most who can hurt you the most. And so true love is costly and it was costly for Hosea here. This Goma was already his wife. But he paid a price to bring her back, to buy her back. And so, so far in this passage, we've seen the core to love. It was at a cost. But why? What's the reason? Well, it was for a cause. It was for a cause, so there might be reunion, so there might be reconciliation, so there might be restoration, so there might be a future glory. And so what we see here is a parallel with what happens with Goma and what happens with Israel in these next few verses. Goma, she's restored in her relationship to Hosea, but is denied any, any deep intimacy with any man, including Hosea. And so she's brought back, they're back in relationship, but she's deprived her husband's full expression of love. And so in the same way, likewise with Israel, she's restored to God, brought back in relationship with God, but is denied a monarchy. She, the, the nation of Israel denied priestly worship. And so it's deprived of her complete intimacy she had with God at least for a time. Brought back into the relationship, but they are deprived of some things. Look at verses 3 to 4. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will live with you, or more literally, I will act in the same way toward you. And for the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. You see, there will be a period without kings for Israel. There will be a period without this priestly worship. And so the relationship with God brought back together, they're back in relationship, but yet they're deprived for, one on, for a while. Israel is deprived of the intimacy for a while. But then what's the point? Why go through all that? Why the call to love at a cost for something that is substandard? 
Well, you see, this will only be for a time. The nation of Israel, they did experience long periods of suffering for several hundred years in their idolatry. In their adultery, we know what happened. We've been trying to memorise the years. In 722, what happened to the northern kingdom? Destroyed by the Assyrians. In 597 BC, what happened to the southern kingdom? They were exiled off to Babylon. Uh, Hosea, this was about 750 BC. And so for several hundred years they've been experiencing this suffering. They've been brought back to God, but they're still suffering. And even upon their return from exile, things were never the the same for them. They had no king, their temple, temple was substandard, and their intimacy was not like what it was like in the glory days of David and Solomon. But yet here, God wants them to look forward. Look forward into the future. The promised glory days will again happen in the future. And so our final verse. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. And so God wants them to look forward into the future. There will be a reunion. There will be reconciliation and restoration and complete intimacy as it was meant to be. They will seek God for the right reasons and they will relate to God with the right attitude. They will fear, have reverence for God and they will also have a Davidic king who will establish and secure the reign of God over them. God's getting them. Look forward to the future. The glory days will come again. Just wait. It will in fact be better. Just wait. And so this is what God wanted his people to look forward to. But now if we look back over the history of Israel, how long did they have to wait for? How long? Well, you've been hearing it week in and week out. The history of Israel is not the full story. The Old Testament is not the full story, but it's part of the big story of God's unfolding plan of salvation. Hosea was about here. It was part of a bigger picture of God's unfolding plan of salvation. You see, the words and promises here in Hosea, what God wanted them to look forward to, was not fulfilled for about another 750 years in the coming of Jesus Christ. Because what we find then is almost that fairy tale story come true, but a better one, a much better one. Because what we find here is 750 years after Hosea, it wasn't the arrival of Prince Charming going out in search of love, in search of that innocent, beautiful, pretty you. It wasn't Prince Charming. What we find in the coming of Jesus Christ is the king of the world who goes out. The king, he goes out himself. The king anticipated in Hosea. The king who's the descendant of King David. The king who has all the resources of the world. The king who has all the powers at his disposal. It is this king who comes. This king who leaves his home in heaven and comes. And who does he come in search of? He did not come in search of the lovable, the pretty, the beautiful, but in search of the unlovable the adulterous and those, morally speaking, worse than the cross of that ogre, that ugly stepsister and that donkey, morally speaking. In search of people like you and me, you see, 
We come into the big picture of God in search of people like you and me who've turned our backs on God, who have pursued our lovers, our modern day raisin cakes. You see, if that story of the Bible was a fairy tale, it would have been outrageous, too strange, too unbelievable to even have been published. I mean, who would love to such an extent? That's not the stuff of fairy tales. But you see, here in the Bible, what we have is real. What we have here is true. You see, what we see in the story of Hosea is a microcosm of what God has done for the world in Jesus. It's a small picture of what God has done on a large cosmic scale. You see, Hosea's life was an illustration of the suffering heart and the redeeming love of God. His life was not only an illustration of the divine love, but also prepared the way for the one who would perfectly embody that love of God. And so when Jesus came, he came to love, love the unlovable, to heal the broken and to bring you home. You see, that is what Jesus has done, that king from heaven. And so Hosea, in his story, what did he have to do? Well, he had to walk the dirty streets to find Goma. He had to pay a price to buy her back. But in the story, in God's big story of the King Jesus, his love for this world was far more costly than what it cost Hosea to buy his wife back. You see, he walked the streets to Calvary, the most despicable of places, to buy us back. There was a ransom price that had to be paid. And what was that price? What was that price? What do you think people are worth? How much are people worth? 15 shekels of silver? I'm sure many of you, all of you will be thinking, I'm worth more than that, whatever 15 shekels of silver is worth. So how much are you worth? What are you worth? Well, I actually did a bit of research here to, to work out how much our government value their citizens, how much value they place on their citizens. Now, according to a study done by Safe Work Australia, and depending on which government uh, uh, agency or industry, they make calculations on the value of life, the value of a statistical life. And the value of an Australian is valued at approximately $6 million. That's how much you're worth. But if you are a New Zealander, you're actually worth more, $7 million to the New Zealand government. If you're Japanese, in fact, you're worth even more, $16 million. Australia, you're just $6 million. And so what do you think? Do you think you're worth $6 million? How much is your life worth? Well, Jesus thinks you're worth way more than that. Way more than that. Because what was the price? What was the ransom price paid to buy us back? What was the ransom price to pay to buy you back? Well, it was the price of his very own blood as he went down the streets to Calvary. That was the ransom price for our redemption. The blood of the king himself. Now, you see, this passage, this story is meant to help us see how precious we are in God's eyes. He is already our creator. He made us. He already owns us as Lord. 
We are his already, whether we like it or not, whether you believe him or not. But yet in his love, he will redeem us back in his son. And so we become doubly his. It's a bit like this story. There was a very famous artist who went back to the small town he grew up in. He was walking around the windy streets of this town, passing the shops he, he, he used to go to, he was familiar with when he was a lot younger. And he noticed at the antique store, he couldn't believe his eyes. Right there in the front, on the front window, was one of his masterpieces. It was one he painted many years ago before he became famous. The, but, but then he went to have a look and he saw from this antique store window that the, the frame's a bit broken, it's cracked a bit, the painting is a bit dirty and it was a bit rough around the edges, but it was his. This painting was his and he loved this painting. And so he went into the store and he didn't demand the shop owner, give me back my painting. What he did was he bought it back. He paid for the painting his very own painting, bought it back. He took it home, fixed up the frame, restored it and loved it. And he said, this was mine, but now this is mine for keeps. You see, that's what Jesus has done with us, with people today, with you and me. We already belong to God, he made us. We were his, but now we are his for keeps. That's what the king did. He paid for what was already his, bought us back and the price was his death on the cross of Christ. I mean, that's far more amazing than any fairy tale. Far more amazing, far more outrageous, but this is real. Now, I don't know about you, but does this make you feel, what can I bring to the plate of God? What can I bring to the table of God? How can I contribute to what has happened for me? I mean, this just sounds too good to be true. What must I do now? Well, you see, this passage tells us, this passage reminds us, there is nothing you can do. There is nothing we can do. There is a ransom that was paid which we cannot repay even if we wanted to. But you see, here's the good news. When Hosea got Gomer back home, he didn't get hurt. Now you have to work hard and you have to pay me back those 15 shekels of silver. And nor will Jesus get us to pay back for his own life, which he willingly and joyfully laid down for us. For there's no way we will be able to pay back Jesus for his life he laid down for us. So what do we do when we hear such good news like this? Well, we recognise we recognise that we can't save ourselves and stop saving ourselves. We recognise that and we also receive the king's kindness with thanks. We receive his salvation with gratitude. We confess we are at your mercy and we are so grateful. You see, this is mind-blowing stuff and this should also be life-transforming stuff. I mean, just think about that 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 cost for God, for us. I mean, even on a human level, if this was to happen, just say, I were to lay down my life for you so that you would go on living. Some situation came up, I had to take the bullet or you would die. And I take it, I die, you live. 
or take on a dragon if you like. I die so that you don't have to. Now, how would you feel if that did happen? On a human level, you'd probably feel indebted to my family. You feel obligated to my family that you'll look after them and care for them, those who remain. You see, there's no way you can actually repay that, can you? You can't bring me back to life. But you do all you can to express your gratitude. You do all you can to show your love to my family who remain, wouldn't you? Just on a human level. And you'll never forget how your life was saved. That's what you do, right? You do all you can, all you can, knowing that you can never repay. But now let's think about this. How much more with the king of the universe? How much more that he would come out of love to redeem us at his own cost, at his very own life for us, to buy us back for him? We were his, but now we can be his for keeps, forever. And just like in that, that first reading, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, we've got the best news ever. So we live in gratitude, in thanks to God, with our whole lives. Let's pray.